All right, glad you're with us on this uh, Monday. One week from today, I guess, Labor Day. Wow, summer flies, goes by. Although I've always in the Northeast loved the months of September, October, and it is great months. I mean, the fall becomes a wonderful season. Also, I guess, football season. My Saturday days are for football. Not that interested a whole hell of a lot in, in NFL football anymore, as many of you are sick and tired of it, too. But it's the same thing this year. It's already started up. The kneeling for the anthem, and you know what? It's getting old at this point. Why they haven't dealt with this problem, I have no idea. I know Robert Kraft offered to match his players dollar for dollar in any charity that involves uh, their city uh, and surrounding areas. I thought that was a pretty good, let's do something positive, and and we want to help people. Let's help people. Let's do it together. Well, that was a pretty cool idea. Um, we're going to meet a guy. He now works for the uh, Manhattan Institute. He's an adjunct fellow. He's a former mayor of St. Petersburg. Unbelievable story. I know people don't often want solutions, but when he became mayor, he had a big tent city problem in St. Petersburg. And what he was able to do is, well, he got the school, the community, people in the community on board and they said, all right, we got a big problem in this 10 city. He, he literally spent time down there himself and he'd go and meet the people in the 10 city and see what their problems were. And they ended up being able to help the people. And they did it by getting people back to work and getting others into schools and trying to get them the help they needed. Now, the guy happens to be a, a pretty solid, staunch conservative when he came up for re-election, he was able to win 90% of the black community's vote as a result of his work helping people. You know, I, I, how many times have I said the best thing you can do as a politician is come up with plans to serve the people that you want to serve? All these people make all these promises when they're running for office. All of them, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Then they, like, get paralyzed in office and they, their sole obsession then becomes re-election. And for most of them, re-election is determined by inertia. Uh, don't do anything. Uh, I might upset some people. You know, the, the reason Mayor Giuliani was a great mayor in New York City, cleaned the place up, is, man, he, he just went to war every day to stop the issues that were going on at the time in Times Square and drugs and prostitution and you know, the squeegee guys and and everything else, and he helped people. And then he came up with tough policing measures, and he allocated the limited resources the NYPD had into the areas where the crime was happening, and he saved lives. And then, you know, going from 2,500 murders a year down to 500 and then less than that at some point. Pretty amazing. I mean, you can solve problems. You know, how many times did we bring on Dr. Josh Umber of Atlas MD? You know, here's a guy's got a practice. It's concierge medical service. You know, that's something you think of for really wealthy people, concierge medicine. Concierge medicine simply is you pay enough money the doctor to the doctor directly or you get some premium, premium plan that pays out big money. You don't have to fight the insurance companies for 10 cents. Well, then the doctors are going to be more responsive to the people that actually pay. And so it's very common that some people just pay for their own health care and it happens more often than you'd think and what dr umber figured out he's in wichita kansas it's called atlas md he hates when i give out his name now because he has way too many patients but 
He's been able to build out, build out, build out, build out this practice because you get unlimited medical attention, uh, 24-7, 365. Doctor's always on call uh, for 50 bucks a month that is an adult, 10 bucks a month for a kid. And that means everything's going to be taken care of. You need stitches, you get your stitches. If you need an x-ray, it's it's a little, a little extra, but it's, you know, pennies on the dollar. He negotiates directly with the big pharmaceutical companies. You need blood pressure medicine as a result of your checkup or you need uh, cholesterol medicine. Well, he negotiates with the pharmaceutical companies, gets a 90, 95% discount. You walk out with the medicine that you need after seeing him or one of his associates. You get unlimited care. You can call at three in the morning. You're going to talk to a real doctor. You need to go see a real doctor three in the morning. Go see them three in the morning. That's how they run their their service. It's concierge service for 50 bucks a month. Now, you couple that with what's known as a catastrophic health insurance plan, which means if you get cancer, you have a horrible accident, uh, you have a heart attack, you get a stroke, God forbid, any of these terrible things happen. Well, that the big stuff will be covered by that insurance plan. And usually the higher the deductible, the lower the rate. Obviously, the lower your age, the better it is to get it. And all in all, so you're paying 200 bucks a month for unlimited care at at Atlas MD, and then you're paying for your catastrophic care just in case something horrible happens. And you can solve problems. Why? We have to literally watch. How many people shot this weekend in Chicago, Linda? You usually have about 29. A, 29 this weekend. How many were murdered in Chicago this weekend? Six. Six murdered this weekend. Did you hear any? We ought to do it every week. It's like when I was scrolling the names of people you never heard of. But the, the uh, again, another big liberal city that is absolutely fo- it just catastrophic failure. And it happens every weekend. But because it's run by liberal Democrats and has been run by liberal Democrats for decades, they're not lifting a finger to help the people in these in these towns and cities and areas in Chicago. Why is this allowed to continue? Why hasn't there been, you know, some sirens blasting in somebody's head saying what we're doing ain't working. We need to fix this and keep our community safe. Rudy did it in New York. This mayor fixed the homeless 10 city problem in St. Petersburg. You know, look at a place like Detroit. Look at the violence we discovered in Baltimore. How is it in Baltimore? You have 13 public high schools, not a single kid, not one is proficient in reading. Not a single kid, not one. New York was bragging on a state level. They got a 40%, 40-some-odd percent proficiency rate statewide in reading and math. And I'm like, you're bragging? Oh, it's up 0.6%, de Blasio said. I'm like, what? I, that, is a, that is a catastrophe. We spend more per capita per student than any other Country in the industrialized world, we're 37th when it comes to the education of our kids. It's a disaster. Well, Hannity, you're picking on public schools. Well, some of them suck. Some of them actually are pretty good. I guess it depends, you know, on a particular public school. But by and large, if you look at the big pictures and the real numbers, we're failing. And we're failing those kids on a spectacular level. That means when they get into the workplace, when they get a little older, they're going to be behind. 
We're not serving them particularly well either. And what, we can't do better than that? Yes, we can do better. You know, look at Nancy Pelosi can't. She lives in in a community with walls and everything. A mile away, they're shooting up every single day right there in her district. Her district is a mile away in one uh, direction and her multi-million dollar home with all her millionaire friends a mile away in the other direction. And all these people shooting up drugs, leaving their dirty needles all over the place. And then uh, they're urinating and defecating on the streets. The feces stench and smell is, is just unbearable, according to residents. Nobody's fixing it. What, Nancy Pelosi in a state with Gavin Newsom gets 13.5% state income tax? That he can't do, he can't lift a finger and fix that problem. The millionaire friends that he raises money to be governor from, he can't go to them and say, "Hey, um, I got a project. I'm trying to build a, a a shelter here where where people have facilities so they can go to the bathroom and take a shower, and maybe we'll feed them two or three times a day. It doesn't have to be fancy, just good healthy food, and uh, maybe we can give drug and mental health counseling to people too." I guess the way that when they can bludgeon Trump on the issue, we'll hear about it or the encampments in Los Angeles. You know, how did how did we how did things get so bad in Baltimore? You know, Elijah Cummings district. I'd go down. I'd go down to Baltimore in a heartbeat. I think the president ought to partner with Elijah Cummings. Pick, you know, five, six, seven streets. The worst part of Baltimore. Knock down those homes that are in are a mess. Get rid of the rats and the mice and the crap and the garbage. And if a home, they have 17,000 abandoned homes, see if they are structurally sound and fixable. If not, bulldoze them all or bulldoze some and rebuild the others. Work with Bernie Marcus at Home Depot. Get it. You know, he'll give you a cut rate, maybe a cost for the materials to rebuild the place and paint the place and make it look, you know, the way it should look again. We can't do that. You know, I'm looking at the the latest numbers Sweet Baby James brought in. You want to know why people are flocking out of big cities like New York, New Jersey, Illinois, California? Look at this. If you want to rent a U-Haul truck, you want to rent a U-Haul truck from Los Angeles to Houston, Texas, it's going to cost you three thousand nine hundred and sixty-five bucks. If you're going to rent that same U-Haul from Houston to Los Angeles. And these rates are from June 2019. And go back. If you're going to take it from Houston to L.A., it's only 967 bucks. If you're going from San Francisco to Houston, that's going to cost you a lot. That's 4575 bucks. But if you're going to from Houston to San Francisco, it's only going to cost you $1,115. Bucks. Why, the, why the disparity? Because there's a mass exodus out of these highly regulated High tax cities and states, and yeah, sanctuary state of California. You know what that means? That is state sponsored law breaking, aiding and abetting criminal behavior. And I know that North Carolina Senator Tillis has now proposed a bill that if a sanctuary city or state releases a, a criminal illegal immigrant and you're a victim of their crime, you ought to be able to sue that, that sanctuary city and state. Why, well, they're, they're aiding and abetting by not following the law. Why not? I like that idea. 
All right. Uh, now the predictable media is up in arms over Donald Trump. You know, they're so stupid. They actually report Donald Trump talked about dropping a nuclear bomb inside of hurricanes to stop them. And I'm like, you and the president, you know, is tweeting out, you people are really dumb. That's it just it is so typical. They will believe anything that's anti-Trump. And wait, do you see the weekend that we had? Oh, of course, you got. Uh, oh, we're so glad he's dead. Bill Maher over there on HBO. You got Humpty Dumpty on fake news. CNN. He brings on a psychiatrist that is saying that Donald Trump may be responsible for millions more deaths than Hitler, Stalin and Mao combined. Wow. That's uh, that's pretty sick over there. And then when the person says it, there's no pushback. And they're trying to examine Trump's mental state, the mental state of people that would say or believe that insanity. That's what should be in question. Great irony, just like the real Russia collusion was Hillary. Wasn't Donald J. Trump, was it? I guess because, well, now the New York Times saying, well, we, we, we devoted a whole newsroom to one story, but it got tricky. By the way, this just uh, crossing the wires. Andrew McCabe, CNN's uh, new fake news contributor, may be in a lot of trouble because now the fake news New York Times is saying, quote, meetings between McCabe's lawyers, top law enforcement officials suggest prosecutors seem intent on moving forward with their case. That means that the deputy FBI director under James Comey, but anyway, federal prosecutors in D.C. to be seem to be in the final stages of deciding whether to indict Andrew McCabe, the former FBI director and uh, frequent target of President Trump for lying to federal agents. Well, we know James Comey, he's got that issue, too. Carter Page, by the way, said to Maria Baratiromo this weekend that, yeah, the Obama DOJ tried to get him to lie Um and uh, he was very clear, it was under the Obama administration, top officials uh, that, in fact, uh, tried to get him to do these things. He said they were false. He wouldn't do it. Tell me what happened in 2015 after the indictment was handed down on the Russians. Well, really, in March of 2016, they called me in to come testify in the Southern District of New York. On in that one case. Of the cases. Yeah. And listen, there were so many falsehoods and misrepresentations in their indictment the prior year. I said, I am not going to lie in court. Similar to these false uh, court filings, which the DOJ and the FBI had submitted in this case. And so... You know, it was a long back and forth with them, but I, I told them, you know, I am a man of my word and I'm not going to, you know, provide false testimony like they've done. And it's very similar between the false testimony, uh, which they did in that case against the Russians and the false testimony, which they did a few months later in October of 2016 with their, you know, the start of the FISA abuse. All right. We're going to get into uh, that. We have a lot of 20. 20 news. Uh, uh, yeah, more gaffes from uh, sleepy, creepy, crazy Uncle Joe. Uh, looks like Elizabeth Warren is becoming the breakout. Media madness with Bill Maher and fake news CNN on a level. You're, it should shock your conscience straight ahead. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. Well, if you, you know, you think the media mob can't get any worse. Well, they had a banner weekend themselves. You know, there you got, you know, I've defended this idiot Bill Maher in the past for his ridiculous statements. My attitude remains the same today. You know, I don't call for boycotts. 
I don't call for firings. I, look, if you don't want to watch Bill Maher, Bill Maher, the millionaire who's praying and hoping for a recession, um, which, you know, he doesn't give a flying rip about how it might impact the forgotten men and women. Let's see, the 7 million Americans that are now working since Donald Trump became president, the 7 million Americans off food stamps since they became president. I know these are not issues that the compassionate left of center radical libertarian bill maher cares about but you know those are real people real families real jobs uh and it's really their futures on the line so let's 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 talk down the economy as best we can and pray for a recession there i said it again rooting for recession yeah the hundreds of thousands millions of people potentially could lose their jobs and then you think that's bad and he talks about david coke by the way david coke was not a trump supporter he was a uh, more libertarian guy, but he's also a pretty generous philanthropist. I know, for example, that he has him and his wife, I saw, donated a fortune, hundreds of millions of dollars for, for a cancer center to help people that uh, have cancer. Oh, guess he was a horrible person to do that, right? Yesterday, David Koch, the zillionaire of the zillionaire Koch brothers, died of prostate cancer. I guess I'm going to have to reevaluate my low opinion of prostate cancer. He's 79, but his family says they wish he could have lived longer, but at least he lived long enough to see the Amazon catch fire. I know these may seem like harsh words, harsh jokes. I don't think there's anything funny about it. Harsh, yeah. Cruel, yeah. Mean, yeah. Mar being a jackass as usual. Yeah, that's pretty much him. You know, a Hugh Hefner wannabe. But anyway, he was a libertarian guy, believed in the free market, but he and his brothers have done more to fund climate science deniers for decades. So F him. The Amazon's burning up. I'm glad he's dead. And I hope the end was painful. And by the way, that wasn't even the best of it in terms of the weekend. And you have uh, Humpty Dumpty, who's Jeff Zucker's stenographer. You know, I love this, that they want to write. They hire McCabe, but they're upset over Sarah Sanders being hired at Fox News. McCabe, let me read it again. Let's see. Prosecutors appear to be in the final stages of deciding whether Andrew McCabe, the deputy FBI director under James Comey, super patriot himself. And uh, let's see, uh, on the charge of lying to federal agents, according to interviews, that's from the New York Times. Yeah, CNN, fake news, just hired him. And you got this guy, Humpty Dumpty, who's got a very strange group of people around him. And one guy in particular. Yeah, I mean, that story needs to be told, and I'll wait for the proper time. Now, he wants to write a book on Fox News after all the book of fake news Jim Acosta did so good. Mark Levin sold you know, close to a half a million books in 10 weeks, and Acosta sold a whopping 14,000 in seven weeks. I mean, a un, it, is, it is an unmitigated failure, but whatever. Write about, maybe he can write about himself in his own stupid show that not many people watch uh, because he has on a psychiatrist this weekend who's actually saying, that Trump may be responsible for millions of more deaths, maybe more than Hitler, Stalin, and Mao. Well, I think that medicalizing politics has three very dire consequences. Hmm. The, the first is that it stigmatizes the mentally ill. I've known thousands of patients, almost all of them, have been well-behaved, well-mannered, 
good people. Trump is none of these. Lumping the mentally ill with Trump is a terrible insult to the mentally ill, and they have enough problems and stigma as it is. The second issue is that calling Trump crazy hides the fact that we're crazy for having elected him, and even crazier for allowing his crazy policies to persist. Trump is as destructive a person in this century as Hitler, Stalin, and Mao were in the last century. He may be responsible for many more million deaths than they were. He needs to be contained, but he needs to be contained by attacking his policies, not his person. Tens and tens of millions of people died, and Trump may be responsible for more than them. Now, what do you think they did over there at Fake News CNN? Do you think they pushed back at all? Maybe. Uh, whoa, whoa, slow down. How is Trump um, responsible for the deaths of tens of millions of people, more than millions more deaths than Hitler, Stalin, and Mao? You might want to you might want to ask that question. I think that would be worthier of a book. We even have Mar. Let's just listen to Mar. And I hate David Koch from him. of the zillionaire Koch brothers died. Place of prostate cancer. I guess I'm going to have to reevaluate my low opinion of prostate cancer. Uh, he was. He was 79, but his family says they wish it could be longer, but at least he lived long enough to see the Amazon catch fire. <laughs> Condolences poured in from all the politicians he owned. <laughs> and mourners are being asked in lieu of flowers to just leave their car engine running. As for his remains, he is asked to be cremated and have his ashes blown into a right, child's lung. You don't want lung. enough of this jackass. Who needs to hear him, Lynn? Oh, and the New York Times did admit their editor's comments were racist and anti-Semitic. Yeah, like the anti-Semitic cartoon. Yeah, that too. That was another problem of theirs. You know, I love. <laughs> you got all these, you know, never Trumper people. Um, and I guess a few of them have turned around. But Glenn Beck now, I think, is supporting Trump, right? All right, he was pretty anti-Trump, never Trumper, and Shapiro was a loud anti-Trumper, anti-Hannity person at the time. Uh, and I guess he's now, well, he's half it. Okay. Then you got this guy, Joe Walsh. I had to do this event with him. Oh, what a waste of my time. He's on an affiliate station in Chicago. Uh, but now, you know, his radio show's not doing great, and he announced he's running for president. Okay, then he's he's running for president and he goes on and on about Donald Trump is unfit and we need somebody that is uh, going to serve the country better with more dignity and so on and so forth. And he's already delivered a long list of incredible accomplishments for conservatives and et cetera, et cetera. Walsh wants to make the moral case against the president. And what's funny about this, I'm, then I'm watching the interview and then. Okay, he's upset with Donald Trump and the things Donald Trump says, but he's the guy apparently that was out there calling Obama a Muslim, an enemy, and a traitor, and tweeting that Senator Kamala Harris uh, said something really dumb. If you're black and a woman, you can say dumb things. Lowered bar. Well, Stephanopoulos, for once, I'm sure he wouldn't do it to a Democrat, but he did the right thing here. He, isn't that kind of textbook racism and sexism? Former congressman responded saying 
Uh, Trump's time in office has made him reflect some of the things I've said. Oh, okay. Good luck with him. Just like good luck. Bill Weld is running. Kasich is making a a decision on the on such. I mean, none of them are going anywhere. So we won't waste our time on that. Um, I know the French president tried to make a a statement because they're mad that President Trump said no to this stupid Iranian deal. Remember, we don't have everywhere, every place, any place, any time inspections. Everywhere, any place, any time. That's if you want to have a real inspection of Iranian facilities. And don't forget that stupid Iranian deal that gave the mullahs in Iran $150 billion in cash and other currencies. Yeah, that dumb deal that the president of France, Macron, loves. So he invites to the G7 summit for show the Iranian foreign minister. By the way, the person that was a rock star is the president and said he can talk to whoever he wants. Who cares? Pompeo backs Israel's right, by the way, to defend itself from the Iranian threats after their Syria strike. And, yeah, they did the right thing. The military action carried out by Israel on targets inside Iran on Saturday. Yes, uh, they did it to thwart an imminent Iranian drone strike, and they have a right to do so. And, yes, the president and Pompeo both support their right to do so. Um, One of the big issues that have come out of all of this is the issue with Hong Kong. Now, you got to understand something about Donald Trump that maybe some people haven't figured out yet. Donald Trump is a negotiator. I'd ask him, you want to do a half hour on the show? I'll do 15 minutes. Uh, How about 25? I'll do 20. That's just how it is. Now, the reason he's been able to get better trade deals with Canada with Mexico. And by the way, now the president announced another big win as he announced the U.S. and Japan have agreed in principle to a trade deal that will open Japan to seven million dollars of American agricultural products. And he said, we've been working on a deal with Japan for a long time, just like he's getting NATO now to pay their fair share is the way you negotiate. They've got to believe you mean it. And so what's happening now is the president's taken on China. The president doesn't want a trade war. Guarantee you he does not. But the president knows in the short term, there might be a little bit of pain. But in the long term, you know, we've got a nearly $500 billion trade deficit with China. That's not good for American products. You know, we have tariffs put on our products that we're not putting on their products. I love free trade, but I think I believe in free and fair trade. You know, and, you know, look at, for example, aircraft parts. Yeah, $34 billion. China imposes tariffs on the U.S. Uh, on motorcycles, $16 billion in, in tariffs and st- steam turbines and railway cars and beef and poultry and fiber optic cables and motorcycles. Yeah, that's 25% tariff against us or fabric, or modems, or chemicals, or furniture, or seafood. Yeah, that's $60 billion that they put on us. We're not putting anything on them. $75 billion on other agricultural products and antiques and clothes, kitchenware, smartphones, laptops, children's toys. They're taxing us to death. So there's not free trade. It's a $500 billion trade surplus uh, deficit that we have, surplus for them. All right, so the president's taking a tough stand. The markets don't like when there's talk of trade wars so they've been reacting somewhat negatively but now today china signaled they want to calm 
in this trade battle, in large part because their currency plummeted to an 11-year low because Donald Trump is negotiating a better deal for American manufacturers, American farmers, American products, and American jobs. I think we're going to have a deal, Trump told reporters about China. Now, if China didn't believe it, China wouldn't make the move. And if their economy wasn't faltering under the weight of Trump's tariffs, Beijing wouldn't be blinking. And the problem is, is these tariffs have hurt American businesses. So in the short term, yeah, it's painful. And the stock market, you know, there's always skittish. But in the long term, I can tell you the president's going to win because China is taking the bigger hit because they know it's unfair. By the way, in a Monmouth University poll, Biden is now third. Well, it's kind of like a three-way tie, but it's Sanders at 20, Warren at 20, Biden at 19. Uh, Let's see. Oh, and uh, Warren drew 15,000 people in Seattle. First signs of life for any Democrat. 15,000 people turned out for Elizabeth Warren this weekend in Seattle. Kirsten Gillibrand's friends and aides are saying she ought to quit. By the way, the squad ally, Linda Sarsour, who supports Sharia, um, you know, is uh, now openly questioning Joe Biden's health. But don't worry, Joe Biden's brain surgeon told us last week he's he's fine. He's absolutely fine. Uh, and, and Biden this weekend did really well for himself. He said, if there's any concern about my age and my mental ability, don't vote for me. He said, I'm not going nuts, he said. He was speaking at a compound in New Hampshire But he forgot where he was, and he seemed to forget that he had last spoken at Dartmouth College when he forgot that, too, and he seemed confused where on campus he previously was. And then he said, I want to be clear, I'm not going nuts. We are so close, so close to be able to do some incredible things for this country. Incredible things. I just spoke at at Dartmouth on health care. At the medical school, or not, I guess I wasn't actually on the campus, but the people from the medical school were at the, I, I want to be clear, I'm not going nuts. I'm not sure whether it was the medical school or where the hell I spoke, but it was on the campus. Yeah, he also seemed to forget what state he was in this weekend. I love this place. Look, uh, what's not to like about Vermont in terms of the beauty of it? What a neat town. Everybody's really friendly. I like Keene a lot. The only problem is he wasn't in Vermont. He's in New Hampshire. Whoopsie daisy. Um, just like he didn't know what cities the shootings took. He didn't know it was, he thought it was Michigan and some other state, not El Paso and Dayton. And then he got the MLK issue wrong. And, um, you know, every other gaffe that he's had. Don't vote for me if you're, not, if you're concerned about my age. There is uh, something else we're going to get to in the next hour also. Fewer voters now identify as Democrats than in either November 2016 or January. It used to be the last time they did this poll, and they've been doing it since 2004, and what they had in 2016, yet 31 voters identified as Democrats, 27 Republicans, 36 Independent. Well, now 27% of voters consider themselves Democrats, 29 Republicans, 38 Independents. Well, I think people are figuring out the Democrats have failed on a spectacular level. Put it in 
perspective. Is the president right when he says a recession's not on the way? He is not right, but a recession is okay. A recession is a normal part of economic activity. President Trump and his economic team are trying to tamp down talk of a possible recession after a volatile week on Wall Street. Presidents get the credit when the economy's good. They get the blame when the economy's bad. And right now, with some signs of economic weakness and the markets growing anxious, President Trump is playing defense. Questions about the economy that haven't been asked in more than a decade, warning signs that haven't been flashing this bright in more than a decade, and clouds that some analysts say haven't been this dark in a decade. He has no concerns about the economy after that 800-point plunge. Josh, isn't the Fed cutting rates now just going to make the next economic downturn worse? What's your prediction? I've been hoping for a recession. People hate me for it, but yeah, it, it would get rid bad. of Trump, so you shouldn't hate me for it. I mean, recessions are really bad. People lose their jobs and their I homes, know. And, we, and we shouldn't wish. It's worth it. That's going to make it tough. Recession happens, Trump loses. I mean, I think that that's what I was, that was my happens, Trump loses. There you go. Well, I think you're going to see a lot of big crashes once the psychology of the market really cottons on to the fact that this president isn't going to make a deal with China, things are as bad as we think, then you're going to see big crashes. And so they're also interesting among the Republican support in Congress. One of the things that I've often thought is when will Republicans in Congress stand up to the president on some of the offensive things he says when the economy turns that, out? Yeah. Maybe the one that thing that gets their attention. Yep. All right, let's hope for a recession. Mueller didn't work out. As the New York Times said, it just got a little tricky, even though we, we devoted our entire newsroom to this fake news conspiracy theory story for over a year. And then we'll put a psychiatrist and a shrink on fake news CNN that Trump may be responsible for millions of more deaths, more than Hitler, Stalin, and Mao. And, uh, yeah, what did the CNN host uh, Humpty Dumpty do? Uh, pretty much nothing. <laughs> you know, why bother confronting such a thing? Um, these type, this is how desperate, insane, and crazy the left has come. But, you know, of course, Andrew McCabe fired for lying and leaking. Um, yeah, he just got hired by fake news CNN. It's like a perfect marriage. Um, a book is now out today. We have it up on Hannity.com. It's in bookstores everywhere, Amazon.com as well. And it's by our friend, uh, uh, Justice uh, Janine Pirro, Judge Janine, and she hosts Justice with Judge Janine on the Fox News Channel. The book is called Radicals, Resistance and Revenge and the Left's Plot to Remake America. Well, I think that uh, this is a pretty timely book considering, let's see, the Democratic 2020 hopeful crazies buying into the new Green Deal, Medicare for all and every other insane policy. Well, uh, hi, Sean. Look, you know, it, after I wrote Liars, Leakers, and Liberals, where we talked about the corruption of the upper echelon of the FBI and the DOJ, I stepped back and I said, you know what? They're not only trying to change the justice system. What they're trying to do is they're trying to change America. And that's why I wrote Radicals, Resistance, and Revenge. It is a plot to remake this country. And for them, up is down, down is up, and um, it is everything is backwards. The Constitution, the Bill of Rights. I mean, what you just ran, in that, and that the butted sounds, were people who were hoping that Americans would lose their jobs, 
that they would lose their ability to be able to do what they want to lead a better life and take care of their families because they hate one man. And what I don't understand, Sean, is that, you know, the, the, the left, I mean, they are supposedly love the immigrants, they love the illegals, they, they prefer the illegal criminals in sanctuary cities over American citizens, and yet they don't recognize that they are the haters of the man who has created more jobs in this country than there are people to fill them, more jobs for African Americans and minorities than ever in the history of this country. And that is a sad commentary when we can't look at the big picture, which is the hate that is emanating from the left where the Constitution doesn't matter, where, you know, men should just shut up and women need to to be believed in the case of Brett Kavanaugh. This is an upside-down, topsy-turvy time. And you know what, Sean? I don't think Americans are going to buy it. And I think in 2020 they're going to say, enough of you radicals, enough of your revenge and your resistance, you're not going to remake this country. So they have a big, they have the biggest donation in the history of man, meaning whoever the 2020 candidate is, and that is, you know, uh, their media allies, the mob that hates all things Donald Trump. I mean, so revealing. We spent a lot of time last week on the New York Times Oh, by the way, they've apologized again for having more anti-Semitic uh, people working for that newspaper. But um, that's neither here nor there. But the revelation that, oh, yeah, we, we devoted a whole newsroom to one story and then it got tricky. So now we're going to move on to another story. And that'll be race in the 2020 election. Um they're not reporting news. They're basically echoing each other. They want run with rumors, innuendos, lies. They're fed garbage. They run with that. There's no there's no real reporting going on. It's it's not journalism anymore. It is an, an advocacy and an extension of all things Democratic Party. And you know what? No one would really care except they promote themselves and tout themselves as, you know, this respected uh, journalistic uh, endeavor, when the truth is they are nothing more than, uh, you know, a, an arm of the, not just the Democrat Party, but the leftist party. And, you know, I, I, I think that when you look at all of this, you have to say to yourself, what happened to journalism in this country? And you, you can really trace it back, Sean, to the fact that there are no consequences. That when people run with stories that are not accurate, they turn out to be not true. And then there are no, there, there isn't even a redaction. There isn't even a correction. There isn't a consequence. They just go on to the next rumor and then they pile it on. It's like, you know, what in school, what do they used to call it? A rumor or whatever, where, you know, one uh, telephone, somebody says one thing and then they add to it. Yeah, the game of telephone. That's what you, you start out saying one thing. And by the time it gets around the room, it's something, <laughs> something totally and completely and utterly different. Yeah, it goes from. By the way, whenever I was in school and I played that little game, I purposely shifted it dramatically. Sorry, well, you know, it's, it's a it, part it, of my it, warm personality and charm. Well, I got to tell you, you know, we <laughs> I don't think either of us want to talk about what we were like when we were kids. Look, you're a fighter and I'm a fighter. And that's why we're in this game, Sean, because we believe in this country. Look, I devoted my career, my chosen career to law and order and truth and justice. I fought hard for it. And that's why I've become so offended when I see people just try to change 
the respect for law and order in this country. Look, there is very little, Sean, that separates us from, from barbarism. You know, when you tell police to stand down when Antifa comes around, when you say, you know, it's okay, look, you got a full-term baby, and the baby's born and born alive, but hey, let's, you know, you want to think about it, Mom, like an emperor in the Coliseum, thumbs up, thumbs down. And then you've got this clown car of Democrats running for president, and they're all like, oh, yeah, we're into that, no problem. Does anyone not see the evil that is emanating from this hatred and this divisiveness that's coming from the left. Look, I don't know anyone on the right who said, you know what, I don't like you on the left anymore. I'm not talking to you. It's all about the left saying, we're not talking to all you on the right. How many friends have you lost, Sean? How many friends have I lost? I've lost a number of friends, but and I'm going to tell you something. That's their problem. It's not mine. Right. But they, because they don't like either, my views or, you know, and the funny thing to me is you watch people that say that they're for, you know, all their lives, they've been conservatives. But here comes somebody that's going to fight for tax cuts and deregulation on a scale we've never seen before, resulting in dramatic economic growth and the best employment situation for since 1969 and every demographic group that had been left behind in the Biden Obama failure years. Uh, and then all the trade deals that the president is accomplishing, just check China, uh, I'm sorry, Japan off the list. Yeah, it's a little right. painful to get the deal done with China, but the, it's been such a dramatic imbalance. Uh, but now because the, the valuation of, of China's currency is tanked, oh, now they want to go back to the table again. So we're going to have a better deal a more fair deal. Uh, I don't think the president ever wanted a trade war or ever wants a trade war. I think the president but, but wants Sean. to be open for business, but you're not going to get, you, you can't have an open business when there's a $500 billion imbalance every year and they're taxing our goods and we're not doing the same to them. That's, the, that's, that's trade. That's free trade, but it's not fair trade. Yeah, it's clearly, but Sean, can anybody not give the man kudos just for going after this imbalance, just for trying to take care of America, just for trying to level the playing field. I'm taught, look, American workers in this country work hard. People in this country want to be able to buy something and to be able to buy it in a way that is fair. And re remember American made, remember, you know, buy American and all that. All of a sudden, it doesn't matter anymore. And this man, and you know, everybody made a joke, and he was, he was even joking about the thing with the chosen one. He was basically saying, yeah, I'm the guy who's going to fight this fight. And nobody wants to give him credit. And Sean, as sure as you and I are talking, he is going to make a difference in trade. It's going to be painful for a little while, but I don't care. The Chinese have been, they've been cheating us for years, the intellectual property and all the other stuff, and no one had the Goyones to go after them. And he does, and thank God he does. You know, it is a, a different, you know, I, I guess people, I think the American people saw, see one thing in Donald Trump, and I think they've grown very accustomed to the fact that he fights 24-7. Um, he's a disruptor. He's an iconoclast. They knew who they were voting for. There was no ambiguity what he was going to do, how he was going to govern. The question, the only question that remained in the minds of some of my conservative friends at the time, uh, some that don't didn't or don't like his style. But the question was, is he a real conservative? And I, I kept saying that the answer is yes. Well, what yeah. about all the years he was in New York and he donated to both parties, et cetera, et cetera. I said he's playing the game to get his buildings up. 
And and he right. even said it's a rigged system, and that's how you play the game. And otherwise, they won't even take your phone call in New York if if, if there wasn't a donation. And you know what? It's a sick, corrupt system. He said well, it. it. He is. agrees with it. I agree with it. You agree with it. Uh, well, but, I get it. We get it, Sean. But here's but the he did governors that concern. Look, he's been the most pro-life, pro-Israel, pro-build the border, pro-energy independence, uh, pro-elimination of burdensome taxation, which makes him the biggest pro-business president. Uh, free and fair trade deals are good for the country. And uh, and he pulled us out of that ridiculous Iranian deal, which was insane. Oh. And so, you know, to me. But, but Sean, you don't even have to say he's a conservative. Everything the man has done since he's gotten into office. No, I'm saying that was the only doubt that existed. I'll give you the questions that I think are most pertinent for 2020 in terms of reelection. We'll get to that. Also, the uh, the former mayor of St. Petersburg uh, turned a tense city into a thriving city by getting people back to work. There are cities that actually are working. There are paradigms being created that could be duplicated in places like Baltimore, Chicago, San Francisco and Los Angeles. We have one such example. We'll bring that to you in the next half hour. 800-941-SEAN is our number. And as we continue, Judge Janine is with us. She is the host of uh, Justice with Judge Janine on the Fox News Channel. Number one show Saturday nights on the Fox News Channel. Her latest book just out today, Radicals, Resistance, Revenge, The Left's Plot to Remake America. Um, Do you see anybody in this field of 2020 radical, extreme, New Deal, New Green Deal Democrats that can break through and defeat Donald Trump? And I say it this way. I think the questions will be, well, are we better off than we were four years ago? Okay, we're three years in. We're a lot better off. Uh, The people that supported Trump in 2016 still is enthusiastic. uh, I'd say more so. And three, um, the question I think comes down to what about the 20 percent increase in the Zogby poll last week for African-Americans and Hispanic Americans and record low unemployment for both those demographic groups and women in the workplace and youth unemployment? Can he get those voters that maybe historically wouldn't consider a Republican? Well, first of all, I don't think there's any question that we're better off. I mean, just look at the economy. I mean, it is it the it is roaring. It's humming right now. And, you know, the stock market responding to, uh, you know, some bad news now and then, it always comes back. And the bottom line is the animal spirits in this country are as high as they've ever been. And they were high when the president was elected. Uh, and, you know, those people and those minorities who are impressed with him when he started out with what have you got to lose, they saw they had nothing to lose and everything to gain, and they did gain. And in the end, there isn't one of those people in that clown car who can possibly beat Donald Trump because they're well, so I, I got to go. But I so remember. Anytime a Republican wins the presidency, they got to thread the needle. North Carolina, they need Ohio, they need Florida, they need Pennsylvania. They, they look a lot of states here that immediately go with the Democratic column and a lot of electoral votes, starting with California, New York, New Jersey, Illinois, all the yep. cities and states that have been destroyed by liberalism. But so I agree. Look, we'll see. We got a long way to go. It's over a year. Uh, your book, Radical Resistance Revenge, The Left's Plot to Remake America, Judge Janine Pirro. It's on Hannity.com, Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere. Judge, thank you. Always love having you on. 
All right, Thank when you, we come back, okay, you're going to meet a mayor that actually turned a tent city in his city into a thriving city. And frankly, this model ought to be duplicated by other failing big cities. About a year ago, city leaders identified some of the city's most violent neighborhoods. What the hell? We should just take all this down. To target. Ooh, you can smell the rats. Under Baltimore's Violence Reduction Initiative. Ooh, Jesus. Just last week, we went with Mayor Pugh as she toured an East Baltimore neighborhood. Oh, my God, you can smell the dead animals. Blocks of dilapidated buildings help to hide the addiction that's crippled this community. If home is boarded up, they'll still break it down and do their drugs inside. This morning, I left my community of Baltimore, a drug-infested area where a lot of the drugs that we're talking about today have already taken the lives of so many children. The same children that I watched 14 or 15 years ago as they grew up, now walking around like zombies. The fact of the matter is, is that America is the wealthiest country in the history of the world. But anyone who took the walk that we took, we took around this neighborhood would not think you're in a wealthy nation you would think that you were in a third world country. A community that does not even have decent quality grocery stores where moms can buy quality food for their kids. A community in which the dream of getting a higher education for many kids is as real as is going to the moon. All right, there you have, we, we have spent a lot of time talking about big cities around the country and how they have been run for decades by liberal Democrats. Look at Chicago. I didn't even look. How many people were sh- shot this weekend in Chicago? I'm sure the number's high. I, I, hope, I hope I'm wrong. I hope nobody got shot. But you have, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 people being shot every weekend. Or the poverty in cities like Baltimore, Chicago, uh, New York City. The encampments now getting massive and huge and more problematic Sean. by the day in Los Angeles. Sean, what? 29 yep. people were shot this weekend, six fatally. 29 people shot in Chicago this weekend, six fatally. That's this weekend. Where's the media coverage like they had in El Paso? Well, oh, of course, El Paso, they could bludgeon Donald Trump on the issue of guns. Well, all the big cities that have the toughest gun laws, well, they're not stopping the violence. They're not stopping the poverty in Detroit, Chicago, uh, Baltimore. Look at what's happening in Los Angeles, these encampments as they are, or San Francisco, We've been chronicling this. Lawrence Jones has been in New York, Baltimore, Chicago, San Francisco twice, and Los Angeles as a correspondent for our show. And guess what? We see the same thing happening. And these are the highest tax states. This is where you have had decades of liberal rule, Democratic Party rule. Nobody talks about the poverty, the failure, the misery, the violence, the drugs in these big cities. One mile away from Nancy Pelosi's gated community, home of millionaires, uh, on one side and on the other side, her office. Well, therein lies uh, an open area where needles are thrown around all over the place. And we've shown you the video. And what else? And we see people urinating in the streets and defecating in the streets. And the people that we interviewed talking about this is their daily life in this area. Nancy Pelosi lives there. This is a state that charges 13.5% in terms of a state income tax. What are they doing with all of the money? You want to know why people are running away from big cities? Because they're failing the people they're supposed to serve. Now, you have the former mayor of 
St. Petersburg, who's now an adjunct, adjunct fellow at the Manhattan Institute, a guy by the name of Rick Baker. Okay, well, in his city, in St. Petersburg, he had a 10-city problem, and he turned that problem into a thriving city, and he did it by getting people back to work, getting the schools and the community on board to help their neighbors in need. And how this, this was so successful when he ran for re-election, Mayor Baker was able to win 90 percent of the black community's vote. And he's a staunch conservative because his policies worked. Solutions worked. I, I have said about President Trump, I'd adopt the city or at least part of the city of Baltimore, one area and say, here's how you fix it. They got 17,000 abandoned buildings. They got a vermin problem, rats that might get rid of them first. Then look at the 17,000 buildings, those that might still be inhabitable or structurally sound you can keep and rebuild. Otherwise, knock them down and bulldoze them and, and work with Bernie Marcus of Home Depot. He'll probably give you everything you need for cost and, and give jobs to people in the community. Anyway, Mayor Baker was able to do this. He was named the number one mayor in the nation. He did it. And he's here to talk to us about how he did do it. Uh, all right. So how bad was the problem in terms of the tent city when you were the mayor? Hey, Sean. Good to be with you. Uh, it was a big problem. We had had a uh, one of the social service agencies in the downtown area had a vacant lot next to him. And they decided to open up that lot for anybody that wanted to, it was during the winter, and they were concerned, and I, and I understand the concern, for anybody that wanted to tent there. So they started giving out tents, and, and, and so we, we create, they started this, this large lot, and then it expanded to across the street, and then it started to expand throughout the city. We wound up with tents in our waterfront, and, and, and what happened was people heard about it. They heard about, well, there's a place to come. There are no rules, and, and you can come, and you can just you know, hang out in St. Pete, and then you know, panhandle downtown. It was a horrible situation. Well, all right. So you decided you're going to go into this area. The people need help. How many people were living in this tent city? I, I couldn't even tell. Hundreds, hundreds around the downtown. And, okay. And so was, tell, uh, tell us, to walk us through it. What did you do? How did you do it? Sure, sure. Well, you, you first have to, you know, you have to, you have to come up with a plan, a strategy, how you're going to get. You had to stabilize the situation the way it was to keep it from growing as much as possible. But then you had to come up with a long-term plan for where they're going to go. And I think a lot of times, uh, and, and, and first I should step back and say, it's, it's, a, it's a tragedy for the people that are being impacted by it. It's also a tragedy for the people on the streets. You know, they don't want to be there, and most of them don't want to be there, and, 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 but, but there's no way of lifting it out. And the, and the solutions that are come up with, throwing needles at them or, or, or giving them a tent to hang out, and, 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 and it's not solving the problem for them. So the first thing we did is we had to find out a solution for where can they go. And we worked with uh, the uh, Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg, Bishop Lynch, and the bishop and I talked about it, and he agreed to provide land, in a, actually in a wooded area in the center part of the county, where we could effectively build a large campsite area. And we, we built, uh, we, I got a, a, a businessman, gave me a half a million dollars as a contribution so that we could build Facilities there, we build restroom facilities, bathroom facilities, we build uh, uh, where they could take a shower, where they could, where they could get clothes. And what happened was uh, it, it became a way of the entire community concentrating their focus on an area. Now, there were tents. Eventually, this has evolved to the point where there's still some tents, but there's also uh, uh, small cottages out there, and there are sufficiencies. And there are probably 400 people, three, 400 people living out there every night. They'll be there tonight uh, after all these years. And what happens is it's very low cost because of the way it's set up, both, both capital-wise and operationally low cost. I'm sure it's less than virtually anybody else does it. And we were able to 
set it up in six months, not try to put together a 10-year plan to do it. And we, we got the folks out there. And once we, once we had a place for them to go, then we could put the ordinances in place in the city to, to keep the conduct that's negative and harmful to the city from happening, whether it's urinating on the sidewalks or, or defecating on the sidewalks or, or uh, even, even sleeping. So now the way it's set up is if, if, you, are, if you are out on the street, you can um, end up, end up we, have a, we had a team that would go out, a, a police officer and a social service worker, and they would go to somebody that's homeless, and they would say, okay, we've got a place for you to go. And, and, and if, if, you, if you don't go, then you can be arrested. And, and we, we, we started to enforce all the quality of life uh, laws that Rudy Giuliani was so good about. And, 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 but we, we, we really couldn't do that until we had a place that we could have them go. And now almost virtually every church in our county as service organizations, they provide the food at night, they cook it at their church, they bring it over and they serve. And it's become, it's turned into a positive thing where people are supporting the homeless. And with the, with the Catholic diocese, the uh, Catholic charities involved, they're, they're, it's a faith-based organization, of course, and their focus is to get people independent, not to just house them, but to get them the skills, to get them back to their families or whatever it is, their goal from the first time the person gets there until they leave is to get them independent so that they can lead a, a successful life, which is so much better for the homeless person than being subsidized on the street. You know, I just love the innovation of it. How long did it take to get everybody out of the tent city and get them working? And in other words, you improve public safety. You got economic development. You got community support. You got public school support. You help the kids involved that are victims in all of this. And now you have all these goals. And and the next thing you know, the problem was solved. So why aren't if it's if you can solve it, why isn't San Francisco, L.A., Chicago, uh, Detroit and Baltimore solving it, and New York. You know, I, I think some, and I don't, I can't speak specifically for any of them because I'm not there. But I, I think sometimes there gets to the point where people just are accepting that this is the way it is, and they, and they accept that you know, well, we really can't do anything about it, so let's make sure that you know, whatever. But 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 they they just assume they can't do anything about it. But if you put a plan together with the resources, we have very little resources to to do what I just described. I would say. The large majority would be because from people that I called just, can you contribute to this? Can you help us with this? Can you do this? And when the community saw what we were doing and they saw that, that we were putting together a program that would help alleviate the issues downtown, but also the community has a heart. They want to help folks. They want people to be able to, to get, off, get off. You know, if you're on the street and if you are homeless, and I've gone, when I was mayor, I would go out at night and I would go talk to folks that were on the street. And I would sit down with them and talk and find out this. They, so you were the mayor. You'd go out at night. You'd go into these ten cities and say, "Hey, I'm your mayor. Uh, how are you doing? Do you need? What can I do for you?" I would. I would go in and I would find homeless, not necessarily even in ten cities, because, I, but I would just see homeless on the streets, and I, I would go and just sit down and talk with them and try to try to get it from their perspective. Because Here's what my experience, though, has been. All right. It, it, I'll tell you, in New York, and it was a bigger problem when Rudy Giuliani became president because he had problems. They, had, they used to have these window washers that would have dirty water when you're stopped at a light. Oh, I remember the squeeze. You know, they, they would be like shaking yeah. you down for money. If you didn't give them yeah, money, it got hostile sometimes. But anyway, I what the mayor, 
the, the mayor did was help get the, the people that needed help off the streets. All right, got to take a quick break. We'll come back. This guy may be the mayor of the century. I mean, pretty incredible story out of St. Petersburg. Uh, how do you turn a tent city into a thriving city? We'll continue more with Rick Baker on the other side right here on the Sean Hannity Show. Then your calls right as we continue with Rick Baker, former mayor, St. Petersburg. Pretty amazing story how he turned a tent city into a thriving city. Maybe state, maybe cities like San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, uh, Detroit, and Baltimore can learn a thing or two. Now, look, over the years, many, many times I've run into people, uh, you know, asking for money or asking for a sam- nine times out of ten. If I have the time, you know, even a few seconds, I'll just go into a store and say, here's 20 bucks. You know, give this guy whatever he wants to eat. I don't like to give money because you wonder where that money's going. Is it going to go for booze or drugs? You're not helping the person out. I've done it, but I prefer to hand it off to somebody who's going to let them then buy food so they can eat and take care of themselves. But what I usually see is addiction or mental illness. That's what I see. It's not that hard to figure out. I think it's 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 there's there's various reasons, of course. Mental illness is big. uh, uh, Some sort of addiction is big. But there are also folks that are just kind of down on their luck. You know, when when we went into the recession, the there were a lot of folks that were in the construction industry, especially. I mean, I would go into Pinellas Hope, which is the name of our center that we built, and I would go there and I would sit down and talk with folks. And I I talked to a lot of construction workers that just had just. Well, they, they just had one too many bills. They just couldn't get, get the, they, they lost their paycheck and they just, they just couldn't quite make it. So they just needed to help back up. And so there's a lot of folks like that too. So, so whatever it is, you have to, you have to address the people as they are. If they have mental illness, you have to have services uh, for the mental, mental health services uh, that, that, that can help them try to get as independent as possible. If they have addictions, uh, you're not going to get anywhere till you get them off the addiction. So you have to have services that help people get off the addiction as well. All of that needs to be done. It's not a simple thing. You, you, and you have to address the individuals as you're bringing them out. But you, you, you're never going to do that while they're sitting on the street, while they're sleeping on the sidewalk in the tent and, 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 and urinated on somebody's business. You're never going to fix that for them. If you can get them stabilized in the center, then, 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 you, can, then you can start the effort, okay, triage. What, what, what's the issue with this particular person? Where can we send them? And, and it's, you know, don't get me yeah. wrong. Nobody right, has Mr. solved Mayor. homeless anywhere, right? Nobody solved homelessness anywhere. But you have to try to manage it and, 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 and work towards getting people independent. Well, good for you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, Rick Baker is now at the uh, Manhattan, uh, Manhattan Institute. He's an adjunct fellow and former mayor of St. Petersburg. Great story. You know, I, there's a way to do this. Not that complicated. And uh, anyway, when we come back, it was like a mental breakdown all over fake news, CNN and and HBO and Bill Maher. Just a media meltdown all weekend long. And we'll play the worst of the worst. It's getting sicker by the second, as we've been telling you. Stay right here for our final news roundup and information overload. All right, news roundup, information overload. We'll get to your calls this hour, 800 941 Sean, you want to be a part of the program. You know, just when you think the hatred, the insanity, the every second minute hour of every 24-hour day, seven-day week, every month, every year, can't get any worse. Uh, well, fake news, CNN. Now, you got to understand the position they're in now as a network. They can barely ever get a single show to break a million viewers, which in cable is a disaster. Um, I, you know, I can't remember a time when that ever happened to my show. 
I mean, I've been there 23 years. I, I guess in the beginning it did. And we didn't even get ratings maybe for the first couple of years. But once 1998 kicked in and once the ball got rolling, I mean, yeah, that would, we, we've never looked back at that mark or anywhere near that low for a long time. So they're really struggling. And I guess, you know, Jeff Zucker has his stenographer out there. Now, this show does terrible on the weekends. I, I look at the ratings sometimes it's like a .6 show. Nobody ever watches. That's Humpty Dumpty show with his uh, very strange group of friends that work with him that are kind of stalkerish to me. Uh, and one day I'll tell that story. But anyway, so you got Humpty Dumpty. And here it is. He's got a, a couple of guests on this weekend. One is a former chairman of Duke's University Psychiatry Department. Wow. And he's talking with Humpty Dumpty about whether the media has any merit in calling out Trump's supposedly deteriorating mental condition. And he determined that Trump is a destructive, is as a destructive a person in this country as Hitler, Stalin, Mao were in the last century. He may be responsible for many more million deaths than they were. Let's see, 30 million Stalin, how many, you know, tens of millions under Hitler, World War II, the Holocaust, uh, Mao, oh, okay. And when the show's over, you know, you know, Humpty Dumpty tweeted, he, he should have pushed back. You think? Well, maybe. You know, uh, if you're going to have a guest on that's making those kind of comparisons, those kind of comments, uh, which are just ridiculous. But the reason they don't push back is this is now, you know, I, this is now the age of hating Trump at the highest level you can with the most intensity, with the most rage, with, you know, first of all, how does this guy diagnose anybody? You ever see the president? You ever watch the president? Ever talk to the president? Or maybe there's just a method to his madness. There was so much insanity this weekend. There's only one way to really do it justice, and that's play it for you. Well, I think that medicalizing politics has three very dire consequences. Hmm. The, the first is that it stigmatizes the mentally ill. I've known thousands of patients, almost all of them, have been well-behaved, well-mannered, good people. Trump is none of these. Lumping the mentally ill with Trump is a terrible insult to the mentally ill, and they have enough problems and stigma as it is. The second issue is that calling Trump crazy hides the fact that we're crazy for having elected him, and even crazier for allowing his crazy policies to persist. Trump is as destructive a person in this century as Hitler, Stalin, and Mao were in the last century. He may be responsible for many more million deaths than they were. He needs to be contained, but he needs to be contained by attacking his policies, not his person. David Koch of the zillionaire Koch brothers died. Place of prostate cancer. I guess I'm going to have to reevaluate my low opinion of prostate cancer. <laughs> What's not to like about Vermont in terms of the beauty of it? And what a neat town. What a, I mean, this is sort of a scenic, beautiful town. Sorry, he's in New Hampshire. And got, everybody's been really friendly. <clears throat> I like Keen a lot. Is we are so close, so close to be able to do some incredible things for this country. Incredible things. I just spoke at, a, at Dartmouth on health care. At the medical school, or not, I guess I wasn't actually on the campus, but the people from the medical school were at the, I, I want to be clear, 
I'm not going nuts. I'm not sure whether it was a medical school or where the hell I spoke, but it was on the campus. It was on the campus and the dean of all of that. All right, News Roundup information, Overload Hour, 800-941-SEAN, our toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. Joe Concha is with us, media opinion columnist. He's one of the rare media people that actually sees that the media in general are nuts. They're one-sided. They have been pushing lies, frauds, conspiracy theories, the biggest hoax ever uh, in the last two and a half years. And here they're at it again. Uh, Now they're hoping people die. How much did uh, did Coke give to the cause of cancer in a cancer facility in his life? Oh, I'm glad he's dead. Oh, okay. That's a nice comment. And then, really, we're going to have a psychiatrist on with Humpty Dumpty or Jeff Zucker's stenographer. By the way, and this is the guy that wants to write a book about how bad Fox is. Um, Well, you know, I'm sure he may even sell more copies than Fake News Acosta, which was a total, utter disaster and failure. But... You know, putting on a psychiatrist saying that Trump may be responsible for millions of more deaths, even more than Hitler, Stalin and Mao. Okay, that belongs on a news network. Right, Joe? Joe Concha? Yeah, Sean. The thing is, there was nothing surprising about what that psychiatrist said, only because you can look at his Twitter feed for about, I don't know, 30 seconds. Or you could look at what he's written in the past and what he has said in the past. This was all calculated for people to say, oh, wow, well, you know. Uh, Brian Stelter was surprised by what he said, and he wishes he pushed back. And then he blamed, actually, technical problems for not being able to hear the guest. So you say, okay, even if you want to grant him that, give him that, the fact is that Stelter, after the segment ran and all this blowback came from several publications uh, condemning him as a host for not pushing back on a ridiculous claim like that, a crazy claim coming from a psychiatrist, ironically enough, he continued to, p- to promote the segment over and over again on Twitter as if he was proud of it, as if he wanted more people to see it. So what can I say? I mean, this is supposed to be a media reporter, somebody who should be held to a higher standard, therefore, and that set journalism back a good 50 years when it's already been set back a lot already from what we saw with the whole Mueller report and Russia investigation. So th- this was embarrassing. But nothing will happen, of course, because there is no accountability at CNN, no matter what anybody says or does, uh, because simply they just seem to think that this is working. But to your point, when you're losing to the Hallmark Channel, the Hallmark Channel in the ratings with Donald Trump as president, with these crazy news cycles and all these things that everybody in cable news should be doing really, really well, that's a problem. And I'm shocked that the folks at AT AT&T aren't looking at this and saying, this has to change from a business perspective. We're getting our clocks clean when we should be doing better than we never have before. Well, you would think so. But it, look, they seem to just there's this inability. We saw with the New York Times last week. Uh, it was very interesting to watch. They're finally catching up. The New York Times admits their editors comments were racist and anti-Semitic. Uh, didn't they have to admit that their cartoons were anti-Semitic also? Oh, yeah, there's I think a pattern so. there. And then and then you have the revealing comments. We've dedicated an entire newsroom to one story. That would be the Russia hoax. And, quote, we did a great job, but then it became trickier. So now we're going to refocus the entire newsroom on another fake news story about Trump and race, conservatives and race, to see if we can divide the country even further. Um, how do they get away with what they get away with? Or, or look at Humpty Dumpty. How, I'm, look, I'm not calling for his firing. I don't call for anybody's firing. How does Bill Maher get away for saying, I'm glad he's dead? 
Oh, that's really nice of somebody. You know, a guy did donate a significant number of millions and millions and millions of dollars to help other people out with his money. Maybe you don't like how he spent his political dollars, but okay, George Soros, I don't like how he spends his. So it's it's their money. What what business is it of Bill Mars? Just like he prays for a recession, which is another issue the media is now hooked into. Let's have a recession. I hope for a recession. I pray for a recession. Great. They must really love their fellow Americans that work for a living that will be impacted by the recession as they live their lives of luxury. Do you know what Bill Maher's worth, Sean? No He's idea. Worth $100, $100 million. So yeah, he could survive a recession very, very comfortably. And this is a guy who's supposed to be for the little guy, standing up for them, standing up for children and, and the evil Koch brothers. Uh, but then he wishes a recession on the American people, people that can't obviously afford it the way he can. It, it's so hypocritical. And the way, the reason why he could get away with it, Sean, is because HBO doesn't have advertisers. They have subscribers, but then you'd have to cancel all of your HBO in order to send a message to HBO to do something about Bill Maher. And that simply isn't going to happen because the people watching HBO, if you see all of their programming, whether it's John Oliver or Bill Maher and right down the line, uh, they're mostly liberal, I would imagine, with exceptions. I have HBO, but I watch it for Game of Thrones. But for the most part, I, I don't watch it now because of the content that they have in terms of Bill Maher. So, yeah, he could get away with whatever he wants because there's no advertisers uh, that, that well, can... Well, uh, who owns HBO? Because obviously they don't have a problem endorsing this kind of talk. I mean, I just know in my life or the life of any conservative that's on the air, you go on the air and you say what he said, you will be fired. It's not a matter of if, it's when, and probably immediately. Um, no, you're right. And, and you know frankly, I don't know... Cons- I don't. Who wishes somebody else dead? Um, that's pretty sick. And of course, that's also tuned into this crazy climate uh, hysteria agenda, which is the new Green Deal, which is no oil and gas, which is no combustion engine or planes or cows and everything else is free in life and Medicare for all and no no other choices in the private health care market available to you. So that's really what's at stake in 2020 from my perspective. Oh, yeah. And Bernie Sanders just put out his plan. And what is that? Fourteen trillion trillion. That is impossible. Actually, it was sixteen trillion. We only get we only we only our budget's only four trillion a year. So yeah, his his new green deal is sixteen trillion. Good luck with that. And there's a new poll out today from Monmouth showing Joe Biden taking a huge dip, and now he's actually trailing. I know it's one poll, but I think it's a trend that I'm starting to see anyway. Uh, He's trailing both Sanders and Warren. And if that ends up being your ticket, perhaps, and I doubt it, it'd be Warren and Sanders, but let's say it is a Bernie Sanders that somehow wins this nomination, boy, is that a contrast, an easy contrast for the president to run against when Bernie Sanders has all these type of proposals, but he never could quite explain how it's going to be paid for. I mean, that is the matchup I would think the president wants. I mean, Joe Biden would be easy as well, only because, as we've seen on a daily basis, uh, he just doesn't have his faculties. I mean, Democrats are saying that now. Clearly, the polls are showing it. But, yeah, I, I think that if, uh, if Sanders or Warren, that is a gift-wrapped uh, opponent for the president. Mm-hmm. All right, as we continue, Joe Concha, media opinion columnist for The Hill, host on uh, WOR in New York. So you got all these people, Bill Weld, he's not going anywhere. Kasich won't go anywhere. Who else? Uh, oh, this guy, Joe Walsh, he's pretty much a failed talk show host out of Chicago, I guess. Um and I, I know I, I know I've been in a some setting with him someplace somewhere. Anyway, I'm running because Trump's unfit. Somebody needs to step up here and offer, offer an alternative. The country is sick of this guy's uh, tantrum. He's a child, et cetera, et cetera. And he's running as a conservative, so he says. So he goes on all these Sunday shows, and they just kick the crap out of him. And 
you know, it's funny to watch because, you know, Stephanopoulos pointed out, which he probably would never do to Obama because he never knew who Ayers and Dorn were until I had to educate him on that small point about Barack Obama's past. Um, but he pointed out that I guess Walsh called Obama a Muslim, an enemy, a traitor. He tweeted in 2017 about Kamala Harris uh, that if you're black and a woman, you can say dumb things, lowered bar, quote. This is kind of textbook racism and sexism, Stephanopoulos said. And, you know, he goes on from there. Do you see any of these guys, Kasich? Do you think anybody could could get any votes in a, in a primary against Trump? I don't think so. There isn't. Yeah, Sean, there isn't one Republican on the planet that could seriously challenge Trump in any capacity, uh, only because look at the polls around party loyalty, around how he's doing within the Republican Party. 88, 90, 92 percent. It has not wavered. I think every single person that voted for him from his base, not one person is left. We see that with the rallies. They like the fact that he is consistent in terms of fighting for the things that he said that he was that he campaigned on in 2016. They see the economy. So, yeah, any Republican that jumps in here, it's all just to get on television. These are opportunists. Nothing more. I mean, I like Anthony Scaramucci. I've had him on my show, but, you know, I think he's doing this a lot now. All these CNN and MSNBC hits because he gets some exposure and he actually was at a. But you've had all these the never weekend. Trumpers from the beginning, although a few deny that they were never Trumpers. But, you know, we, look at the time, Glenn Beck, Ben Shapiro, um, known conservatives. And I'll never vote for Trump. I'll never vote for Trump. And now they try it. I guess it didn't work out ratings wise. So now some of them sound almost as pro Trump as I was and am uh, and have been consistently. So uh, and I don't blame them, but I think in the end, stylistically, OK, I can understand some people don't like his style. But in terms of keeping his promises and results, there's no dispute. He fights like hell to keep every promise. Right. In the end, the choice will be do you like results or are you fixated on rhetoric? Maybe people don't like the way the president goes about his business. And in the last rally that he had, he acknowledged this. He said, look, I, there's a businessman that was at the White House. I ran into him. And I said, what are you doing here? He says, I'm trying to get you reelected. He says, what are you talking about? You hate me and I don't like you. The guy says, yeah, but I look at my 401k. What choice do I have? You know, look at job security and wages and all these things going up. From an economic perspective, it is almost impossible if the economy stays the way it is, is as strong as it is, in November of 2020, it's impossible to vote out an incumbent. The only well, that's why they want to talk. Da- they want to talk us the economy down into a recession if they can. All right, Joe Concha, thank you. He also follows me on WOR Radio in New York uh, every night and is doing a great job. Thank you. News Roundup Thanks. Information Overload Hour uh, continues. We'll get to your calls in a few minutes. All right, 25 now till the top of the hour, 800-941. Sean, if you want to be a part of this extravaganza, how do you find, I'd, I'd never heard of this mayor before. Can you imagine if Donald Trump would take like a part of Baltimore and say, all right, we're going to woman rink this section of Baltimore and then say, okay, now that we're going to show you how to do it, now you, now you mayors in your big liberal cities, just follow what we did. I mean, you just look at the 17,000 abandoned homes in Baltimore alone. Well, first of all, you got to get rid of the rats and the mice and the critters and the vermin that are there. Uh, that's not a nice place for anybody to live. And the next thing you got to do is you bring in people that can determine if the buildings that have been abandoned are structurally sound or not. If they're not structurally sound, then you got to bulldoze them. And if they are, you have to determine, is it worth the cost of fixing them or starting over again? 
You know, is there, do we really have to accept a mile from Nancy Pelosi's house, you know, Needleville, with needles, you know, everywhere, people shooting up their drugs right in the middle of the town, right in the middle of this area, disposing their needles in the street. There are no facilities so that people can't go to the bathroom. They're urinating, defecating on the streets. Really? She, she lives in a multi-million dollar home, uh, gated community just a mile away. You can't go around and talk to the people in, in your gated community and say, hey, I'd like to build a shelter here. And I'd like to put in bathroom facilities for the people that need it. And maybe we can maybe we can find somebody that can help and offer some counseling for those people that are addicted to drugs or maybe point them in the right direction uh, of where they can get some mental health assistance. And maybe you might want to provide a meal or two a day and maybe a place for people to take a shower so that they can, you know, perhaps maybe uh, start applying for some work or maybe give them access to telephones so they can give a number. And maybe if somebody calls back and says, yeah, you got a job. Can you start tomorrow? Maybe that can happen. Is it really that complicated or is it that what after 13 and a half percent state income tax in California, they, they, they can't think this through. They just let the problem, you know, get worse and worse on a daily basis. Gavin Newsom, you know, he's been in what? San Francisco, that's been his home. He's the mayor for how many years? Then he's a lieutenant governor for eight years. Now he's the governor, 22 years in government. I don't know. I just got here. I have no idea how to fix it. Well, I don't think it's really that. Why don't you throw, instead of throwing a party to raise money for your reelection, his fantasies about being the next president of the United States, God help us. He can't even govern San Francisco. Well, maybe he could do something along the lines of helping the people in San Francisco that are, are laying out in the street shooting up drugs every day or defecating in the streets or urinating in the streets, dropping their, their used needles all over the streets. Maybe they can do something with that. I don't think it's that hard. Right, let's get to our busy phones as we say hi to Matthews in California himself. Matthew, where are you in California? Glad you called. I am right outside Anaheim in Stanton, California. Welcome aboard, sir. How are you? Thank you, Sean. Hey, this is this is not just in L.A. This goes all the way out to these surrounding cities, all the way to Huntington Beach. And I mean, you don't you're not short in the truth when you say people are just using. I was at a stoplight in Huntington Beach, and the gentleman just stopped, turned sideways. That's his urinal. So one of the problems out here is the cost of living. It's it's not just crazy because your normal groceries, I buy groceries, are relatively the same cost they were back in Oklahoma. But to buy a house, I looked at a 1,078-square-foot house the other day. That's a, a normal $80,000, $90,000 house in Oklahoma, South Louisiana, $725,000. It's, it's that that makes this place so unlivable. Um, and then the permitting costs. So if you did have rundown structures that somebody wanted to come in and fix up and maybe turn into public housing, the permitting costs are out of the roof. You'd be hundreds of thousands of dollars out of pocket before you ever even touched the land. You know, look, everything is so expensive. Jack Kemp, when before he was housing HUD director, he used to run around, you know, and just talk about the cost in, in, in terms of the bureaucracy to build a house out in California. It became so insane. Now, look, there, there's a there's a reason people are leaving California. California is a beautiful state. The weather's great. Temperature's great. The the ocean is beautiful. The Pacific Coast Highway, there's no more beautiful road to travel on than the Pacific Coast Highway in America. Everybody should do it at least at one point in their life. Takes you all the way from Northern California straight down to Southern California. 
You have an In-N-Out burger, oh, every couple of hours, and you're, you're doing great. Um, but unfortunately, they're chasing people away because it's not a business-friendly state. It is a state now that is a sanctuary state, and that means that everything is free, whether you're legal or illegal, whether you can afford it or not afford it. And the people are saying, look, you're already taking, you know, government gets 40% of our money. You're taking 13.5%. We have high property taxes. We have high sales taxes. We have high hidden taxes. We have high death taxes. I'm out of here. And that's why if you rent a U-Haul to leave California to go to Texas, it's going to cost you, according to Mike Huckabee, told me these numbers, we should make calls ourselves and get different rates, about 1600 But if you're going from Texas to California, uh, they'll almost pay you to take the U-Haul back because you're doing them a favor because the, the exodus is in one direction. My, my fear in all of this, and look, I don't, I'm a welcoming person. You want to move out of California because the state's been destroyed by government? I get it. I understand it. I don't want to be in New York anymore. I'm already formulating a letter in my mind to Andrew Cuomo and Comrade de Blasio when I'm when I leave New York one day. I'm going to say you drove me out of the state I was born in. Thank you very much. And what it means, because people are doing this in droves and they are driving them away. And unfortunately, I think this exodus is going to continue. But if people bring the same policies that ruin the states they're coming from with them to the new states they're going to. Well, they'd be pretty naive not to think the same results are eventually going to catch up to them in their new state. And if we ever do it nationally, which is what the Green New Deal is all about, then the whole country goes the way of New York, New Jersey, Illinois uh, and, and California. That's the whole country. Follow right down the tubes. Drive business out. Drive people out. Tax people out of your state. Regulate business out of your state. Everything's free, even if you're in the state illegally. You know, somebody's in the prison system and they're here illegally. And even if they committed a violent crime, no, it's a sanctuary state. We're not going to hand that person over to ICE so they can be deported so they won't commit future crimes against American citizens. Anyway, good call. Appreciate it. Let's go to uh, Ben, Florida. Ben, hi. How are you? Glad you called. Sean, thank you. God bless you for your truth telling. I'm an aged radio news junkie going back to the days of Edward R. Murrow to Cronkite, Reasoner. Wow. Chancellor, uh, and <clears throat> swallowing hard Mike Wallace. But anyway, the 100-year marathon. Dr. Pillsbury wrote a phenomenal book on China's 1950 credo to overtake in 100 years the American economy, producing all of our goods, eventually strangling us with their economic prowess where they can walk in and take over. Uh, President Trump is doing a phenomenal job with these tariff wars, as they're called, to put a stop to this. Uh, I would love to have you add a segment to your nightly program talking about why we're in this conflict with China, where the importance lies, in fact, of controlling their ambitious activities and uh, informing the American public, as you have done so well with the Russian hoax, what may be occurring quietly behind the scenes and why Trump is doing a phenomenal job to put this. Well, look, I think it was a big announcement. Look, the president has I know this president and know this president well. And one thing I can tell you is he's a he's a constant negotiator. I mean, even during the campaign, I'd say uh, I'd like an interview. I need it for 30 minutes because, well, I'll give you 10. All right. Well, let me have give me 20 and we'll call it there. I'll give you 15. I'll, and then I'd agree. And then we do 18 or 20, which would be a whole segment. That's how he works. But he's very look, all these new trade deals with Mexico, Canada, some of our your, the NATO pressure that he put on 
Now he's got a deal in principle with Japan, and now he's pushing hard with China, and China's currency has been tanking, so they're now coming back to the table. But the president doesn't want a trade war. But he's got to convince the people that he's serious that he's negotiating with because if he doesn't, there won't be a deal. Now, the Chinese, President Xi may think, well, maybe Donald Trump's gone in a year and a half. Maybe we just wait him out. I think that would be a bad calculation. And knowing Trump the way I kind of know him, I would suspect that Trump's going to say to him, OK, but if you wait it out, then in in January of 2021, when I'm reelected and I'm serving and starting out my second term. The cost is going to be this much higher. That's how he negotiates. Look, the trade deficit got as high as, what, nearly $500 billion. You have a $419.5 billion trade deficit with China. And if you look at where it's happening and why it's happening is they are putting tariffs on our goods that make it difficult for American products to get into their country, but we're not reciprocating. I believe in free trade, but I also believe in fair trade. So if the tariffs, you know, are to hit over $500 billion on Chinese goods by year's end, well, you see what's happening to the Chinese economy and the value of their currency. It's tanking. And so that's why I think they came back to the table. I mean, the differences are very clear. The United States, look, China, it's more than just tariffs. It's intellectual property theft. It's currency manipulation. It's you know, forced technology transfer by U.S. companies to their Chinese partners as a requirement for doing business in China. Uh, So the president is standing up fighting for American businesses. There might be a little short-term pain to it, and I know that the markets are skittish, and they always get skittish at anything. But I think the president is right to get the job done. In the end, it benefits American farmers, American manufacturers, American workers. And then we'll have freer trade, probably not totally free and fair, but freer trade, a much better deal. And it's going to benefit the people of this country. How we ever let it get to this point speaks volumes about the lack of courage of past presidents. It's like they wouldn't move the Jerusalem, the embassy to Jerusalem or recognize the sovereignty of Golan or those that went along with that idiotic Iranian deal. And, you know, watching the French president at the G7 sucking up to the Iranians is so embarrassing. Anyway, thanks for the call. I, I, I had them earlier. Let me give the exact numbers. All right, so you take a U-Haul from, let's say, Los Angeles to Houston. It's going to cost you, and I assume this is one of their trucks, 3965 bucks. You take a U-Haul from Houston to Los Angeles, it's only $967. Now, if you take it from Houston to San Francisco, uh, that's going to cost you 1115 bucks. If you take it from San Francisco to Houston, it's going to cost you 4575 bucks. And then you can look the same with L.A. to Dallas, the same thing, San Francisco uh, to Dallas, Dallas, San Francisco. And all the pricing reflects is supply and demand. U-Haul wants the trucks back to California, and it's expensive to drive it back. So basically they're saying, here, we'll let you have it for 1000 bucks. You're doing us a favor because they need the trucks back there. Because of the migration out of California. Speaks volumes. Uh, Quickly, let's say hello to Missy's in West Virginia. Missy, hi, how are you? Glad you called. Sean, I've been trying to talk to you for over two and a half years now, so thank God for letting me through today. Wow, I'm so glad you made it. Thank you for being persistent. (laughs) Thank you. I want to talk about the gun control issue, and the Democrats are all concerned because we need need more control. We need more control. I'm a cop. I just retired in April. Well, thank you, by the way. How many years did you serve? 
20 years. Okay. Here's the reason why I gave it up. The issue with the whole mass shootings is mental health and drugs. If you look, I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm not going to tell you to believe what I'm saying. I want you to look for this for yourself. Google mass shootings and antidepressants. Every single mass shooting that we have had, the person involved in it was taking antidepressants and had mental health issues. Now, here's the thing. On a federal firearms form, there's two questions at the bottom. Are you addicted to drugs or alcohol? Do you use any illegal substances? Okay. Those two questions are on there. If you're detained against your will, that is supposed to prohibit you from having a gun. So if drugs and alcohol, legal or illegal questions are on there, why are drugs that we know alter your mental status, your ability, your mood? The number one black box warning on it is if you, uh, if you notice any bizarre or abnormal changes in behavior, which a chemical like drugs or alcohol that has something to do with the chemical composition and your brain processes, we're allowing people to have guns that are taking antidepressants, which are altering their minds and chemical. Also, do you really want somebody who has mental issues, who is taking anti-anxiety, depression medication, having access to a weapon? No. Put that question on the firearms form. Secondly, people need to do their jobs. If you see someone who is struggling, Tell someone, get them help. In every single one of these circumstances, mental health has played a role. Everyone saw it. Nobody did anything about it. They also need to change who has access to a gun. If you've been convicted twice, we'll give anybody a first a freebie on anything. If you've been convicted twice of any kind of assault and battery against the person, any kind of disorderly conduct, any kind of alcohol-related charge, or any kind of drug charge, you should not have access to a weapon because you clearly cannot control yourself. These are simple solutions. They don't hurt anybody. Well, look, I think there's a, I understand. Uh, we already have background checks. Um, I don't have a problem with back background checks. Um, my big thing is I, I think anyone that wants to buy a firearm needs to show that they're proficient in safety, which in Florida, for example, makes, makes you take a class. Takes an hour. I've taken the class and I've had... A license to carry in New York, California, Rhode Island, Alabama, Georgia. Didn't bother me to take the class in Florida at all. And you know what? Good reminder. When the guy so took me to the range, he goes, okay, you pass. You know what you're doing. And, you know, you don't want to get a gun. And it, it is a dangerous thing. You get, get used to safety procedures first. That's my biggest recommendation to anybody. Uh, thank you for your service all these years. We appreciate it. 800-941-SEAN is our number. All right, Hannity tonight on the Fox News Channel. All right, we looks like a decision is imminent on whether to prosecute Deputy FBI Director McCabe under, yes, Mr. Super Patriot James Comey. According to the New York Times, we'll have a full report on all of that tonight. We have the 2020 Joe Biden meltdown and, yeah, the media madness over the weekend. We hope you'll join us. See you tonight at 9, back here tomorrow. Thank you, as always, for being with us. You give us this microphone. 